And God, that is our prayer today, that our hearts and our minds would be open as we look at your word. God, would you, through the power of your spirit, would you reveal to us more clearly who you are, and would you reveal in us the things that are not like you. And God, would you, through your Spirit, give us the courage and the strength and the want to to confess those things that are not like you. God, our desire is, as we just think, to give you glory in all things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you'll take your Bibles, your tablets, your phones, uh, wherever you have a copy of the Scripture, uh, and turn to James chapter 1, what I would like to do is uh, give you just a really, really brief intro into the book of James. there's, there's so much there. I know a lot of times when we start a new book, or actually over the next, uh, I don't know how many weeks, at least the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at the book of James uh, next week. Uh, Eric Moreno will be um, leading us in that. And then if you have read Facebook and, and looked ahead, you know that uh, Keith Pipes is going to come out from behind the keyboard. And he is going to be shared. I'm so excited about it. I really am. I think it's going to be awesome. Um, I think he's maybe a little scared, but um, I, I just like sing it, brother. I mean, you know, if you don't, don't want to speak, just sing it. Just sing the, the passage. It'll be awesome. Um, and, then, um, and then I think Andy's probably going to come, and then Michael will come back along and clean up. Uh, the stuff that I start today. Uh, so uh, I think it's, I, I'm really excited about uh, this next series and, and what the Lord is going to teach us about Himself and who we are. Um, but uh, I, I really want to encourage you to do some further study on your own. You know, but the, the purpose of coming together like this is, is never for this to be the only time that you eat. If the only time that you physically were to eat were one time on Sunday, it would be really, really difficult to sustain throughout the week, right? I mean, I might make it till Monday morning, maybe physically. Uh, if I didn't do a whole lot of exercise, I drank a lot of water, but I mean, you give me, you give me Monday morning, at 10 o'clock Monday morning, I'm going to be ready to eat again if, I, if, if the last time that I eat is this morning. I mean, seriously, I'm probably going to be a little bit hangry. I'm probably going to be, it, you've, you, know what, you know what I'm talking about, right? You've been there. I, some, I've been around some of you enough when you've been hungry. I know that that's true. So, uh, but, but what, what is, these are designed to do is to really give us a jump start to, to give us uh, an opportunity to begin to look at these passages together, but for never, never for this to be the only time that you and I spend time in God's Word and hear from Him and allow Him to show us who, who He is and who we are in line. And then the things that that he is asking us to do as a result of who he is. Uh, so uh, I do want to give you just a really, really brief uh, uh, intro into this. Like it, James, who is he? Well, if you, if you do a little bit of study, you do a little bit of research, um, most biblical scholars will land on one of three Jameses, all right? Uh, one of them would be the half-brother of Jesus, uh, another would say, well, it's James the Lesser. And there would be others who said, well, there was, James obviously was some kind of a leader. 
uh, in, in the uh, uh, church in Jerusalem. And when I say this, there's something flying around up here. Um, but when I say the church in Jerusalem, he's talking about primarily to the Jews, because when we look at this, this opening passage of Scripture, we realize that, that James has some kind of a relationship with the Jews that have been scattered abroad. All right? So here's, let's just read the passage. That's as much, that's as much intro as I'm going to give you, other than sometimes this book is called the Proverbs of the New Testament because it's a book of wisdom. It's a book of you do this. Um, so those are a couple of notes you might want to jot down, and as you do further study this week, uh, you might run across some of those things. So let's read this passage of, uh, of James 1 through 18 together. From James, I'm reading from uh, the, the New English translation. From James, a slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes dispersed abroad. I like this. Greetings. I kind of like that. Greetings. I like, I, you, you ever do the, like you're driving down the road, you can always tell, like, if you know somebody, how do you address them? With a head nod down or a head nod up? If you know them, it's down. I don't know why that is, but if you don't know somebody, it's like, hey, what up? I, I, I never have figured that out. And then I found out that I do that. Somebody, somebody pointed that out one time. I'm like, what? what? That is so weird. That is so weird. But anyway, so, but he says, greetings. That's it. Just a short little one verse, but we're going to come back and unpack that a little bit. He says, my brothers and sisters, consider it nothing but joy when you fall into all sorts of trials. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect effect so that you will be perfect and complete, not deficient in anything. But if anyone is deficient in wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and without reprimand, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed around by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, since he is a double-minded individual, unstable in all his ways. Now the believer of humble means should take pride in his high position, but the rich, ruler, but the rich person's pride should be in his humiliation, because he will pass away like a wildflower in the meadow. For the sun rises and its heat dries up the meadow, the petal of the flower falls off, and its beauty is lost forever. So also the rich person in the midst of his pursuits will wither away. Happy is the one who endures testing, because when he has proven to be genuine, or genuine, depending on what part of the country you're from, when he proves to be genuine, he will receive the crown of life that God promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted... I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. If you have never underlined that, if you have never starred that, that today would be a really good day to hit that verse, all right? But each one is tempted when he's lured, enticed by his own desires. Then when his desire conceives, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. Let me go back and read that. But each one is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then when desire conceives, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, what an interesting phrase. It gives birth to death. 
Interesting. Do not be led astray, my dear brothers and sisters. All generous giving and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the fathers of light, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or the slightest hint of change. By his sovereign plan, he gave us birth through the message of truth that we'd be a kind of first fruits for all he created. All right, there's a lot here. But I'm going to give you a lot in a short amount of time, so be ready to listen fast. All right? How many? Everybody, everybody ready? I'll take that as a yes. All right? All right. So when we look at this passage of Scripture, what does this tell us about God, and what does this tell us about us? Well, first thing I see here is, and when I say I see here, remember, this, is, this was a, a group text that we did um, this week with Keith and Michael and Eric and myself. So first thing we notice is that God expects us to serve him. Interesting, right? Where did we get that? Why would that even pop up from James a what of God? A slave of God, a servant of God. God has called us to serve him. And from the, from the start, we see that God expects us to serve him, which then he goes on to say, in the Lord Jesus Christ to 12 tribes dispersed abroad, greetings. So we also see that God purchased us at a high price, and Jesus is the one who paid that price for us. This is basically gospel 101, quite honestly. God came in the form of, of Christ who lived a sinless life, who lived, who died, who rose again, and he now uh, allows us to enter into this life back into right relationship with God only through his son Jesus Christ. And that you and I now are slaves to him, to serve him. But slavery in, in this sense takes a different connotation than, than, than what we think of a lot of times. It's, this is a, a willingness to serve him out of a sense of gratitude and love. And not so much like this is my duty, but because I get to serve the one who gave so much for me. Verse 2, my brothers and sisters considered it nothing but joy when you fall into all sorts of trials. That is a great assumption. Trials are coming. You said, nope, they're not coming. They're already here. Can I get an amen on that maybe or a hand wave or something? I mean, just isn't it interesting But we think, oh, yeah, trials are coming. And then we find ourselves in different seasons of trials where there are things that go on that, that where we have weathered some things that it's just like, well, this, this is really not that bad comparatively to some other things that are going on. But trials are coming. The third thing I think we noticed in verse 3, we will be tested. We will be tested and testing, listen to this, testing is designed to produce what? Endurance. What happens when we cheat testing or we ignore testing? Testing. 
There is no long, there's no endurance. There's no, I mean, it's like, ah, oh, boom, ah, oh, boom, ah, oh, boom. No, no, no. When, when you and I learn to understand that we will be tested, and the purpose of that testing, one of the purposes of that is to produce endurance in our lives as believers. So, so then that, must mean that testing is a good thing? <laughs> I, got, I, got, I got some conflicting reports back on that one. I got, a, I got a somewhat hearty yes. I heard that. I heard a couple of groans. Um, yeah, we're going we're gonna to unpack this a little bit more in a little bit when we, uh, when we, when we get further down. But yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and cheat a little bit and tell you, yep, testing... Testing is a good thing. It's a good thing. Verse 4. Look at this. And let endurance have its perfect effect so that you will be perfect and complete, deficient, not deficient in anything. What does that tell us about God? God is the complete provider. He is the complete provider. Some, some, of you, some of you are beginning to and are living this more and more. I mean, we have seen, let's just take the last year. Life has been different. It has been, in some ways, radically different. And there, there are instances in our lives that, that man, they, they have been really, really difficult. They've been really hard. And, and if someone would have told us then what was going to happen, and, we, and, and we, we knew that then, what we know now, we'd have been, oh, okay. But, but the purpose of a lot of those tests is why is the endurance so that our faith would go back to, okay, who is, who is God? Can God really be trusted? Now, now, we know this, but many times in the middle of testing, we forget it. God is the very character and nature of God is that he is the provider. Many of you know that. You've experienced that on very incredibly deep levels in your life. And you've developed that faith that mm, God is who he says he is. And, and here's the thing. We don't know, we don't know how he's going to provide. In fact, God has provided in some ways that we thought, man, I, 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 I didn't see that one coming. I, I, would have, I would have never, on the front end of that, I would have never seen that God was going to provide in this way. But that's the graciousness of God. So God is the complete provider. What does it say about humanity? I want to be the provider. I want to fix it. I want to be the one to take care of it. Has, has anybody ever come up lacking in your own provision? I mean, we scheme. We do all kinds of things. I got this one. In fact, the smaller ones, we tell God, don't worry about this one. I got it. I got it. And then we get a little bit into the gotcha, and it's like, oh, I don't got it. I know that's terrible language, but... But it communicates, right? Oh, I don't, I, I don't have this. This, I, I don't got it. 
I don't got it. So, but our humanity says, oh, I can provide for myself. I can take care of this. Verse 5, you're going to have to listen a little quicker, all right? Verse 5, God is the source and giver of wisdom. What does he say? If any of you lack wisdom, ask. And he gives how? Generously, freely. But what kind of wisdom is he, is he, are we asking for? I think that's really, really important. We, we like to define wisdom as, a, I, I need some information so I can get one up on somebody else. Actually, the wisdom I believe that, that James is talking about here is the wisdom for God. You, you, know, you know this circumstance. You know this situation. Would you give me the wisdom to trust you in this? And I want to jump to application too quick, but I think that's really, really important when we look at this wisdom here. This is not wisdom that's willy-nilly. We, we, we throw it out and we, we sound real. We pontificate or we say something real pithy. And, and somebody goes, ooh, that was really, really good. I don't think that's the kind of wisdom that he's pointing out here. I don't think that's what he's asking for. He's like, man, you find yourself in the middle of a trial. You have wisdom to go, you know what, God? I'm going to trust you. You give me the wisdom not to rely upon myself. It's a little precursor to where we're going to get a little bit further down. But I think that's important when we, when we look at this passage, that, that if he's talking about testing and temptation here in a little bit, then the, the wisdom that, that he would be talking about, I think, would be in line with that line of reasoning. We'll see. All right, verse 6. Verses 6 through 8. I'll, I'll read it again. But he must ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed around by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, since he is a double-minded individual and stable in all his ways. So what does that tell us about God? He's stable. He can be counted on. What does that tell us about humanity? I ain't stable. I'm I, I, I can't remember if it was Eric or Keith uh, in, in our time this week. It was like, man, I'm wishy-washy. And I'm like, I can relate to that. In my own strength, I am wishy-washy. I am unstable. It's, it's like, it's like a, a, a toddler that's learning to walk, you know, you, you know how it is as a parent or a grandparent. I mean, you know, you, you, you're just like a nervous wreck. Because he's like, oh my gosh, they're going to run into that. They're going to, you know, you, you start looking at all the sharp edges around, you know. And then, and then what happens on the other end of that is we get older and we lose some of our stability. That it, it, it's interesting how it kind of goes back around the other way. But it's unstable in all the ways. The, 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 they're tossed by everything. By that, that's, that's us in essence. We, we are quick to, to rely on ourselves and to realize that we are so incredibly unstable. And that without God, look at this, without God, we are destitute. I want you to think just a second. Get a, get a picture in your head. Aristotle says a mind never thinks without a picture. All right? So when you think, when you, when you hear the word destitute, what, what picture comes in your mind. You don't have to shout it out. Just take a minute. What it, does it does it does it um, does it conjure up this incredible picture of bounty or lushness 
or beauty or or all of these wonderful kinds of things? Or does it really kind of give you these pictures of some desolate wasteland? Or does it give you a picture of an individual who is who is downcast? Without, without God, we we're destitute. We're, 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 we're forever tricking ourselves in trying to think that, oh man, this is, this is the life. I have got it made. And isn't it interesting when, when destitution starts looking like Eden in our minds? Verses 9 through 11, I think something we can grab from there is that God highly values, and somebody used this word again, I can't remember who it was, it may have been Michael, this sounds like a Michael word to me uh, as, we, as we were talking about this this week, um, but godly, God highly values and esteems humility. You know, in and of ourselves, our own... Our own um, in our own humanity, there's not anything about us that begs for humility. In fact, it's quite, it's quite the opposite. We scream and we holler and we get frustrated because things don't go the way that we want them to go because of our own selfish pride. Because if someone does something that, that's like, man, I mean, I, I love, don't you love that that's not fair statement? And we get on to our kids for that all the time. And the whole time we modeled it for them. We don't say those words, that's not fair. Quite as, um, maybe as boldly as our kids will, because we've learned to, to hide it a little bit. We've learned to put different language around it, but it's exactly the same thing. Somebody wronged me, and that's not fair. Isn't it interesting in the life of Christ? He didn't scream out for fairness when what was happening to him definitely wasn't fair, was it? I think we're so afraid. I think we're so afraid of being the slave. That first first point we pointed out. We we don't we don't like a master. I don't like a master. I don't like a lord. In my own humanity, I don't want you to tell me what to do. I know what to do in my wishy-washiness, in my unstable ways. God highly values and he esteems humility. One of the things that we were talking about this week as we were, as we were kind of um, working through this passage is, is that I, I just went, God's just so countercultural. 
right? I mean, every, everything about God and everything about humanity is just, it's, it's a 180. It's just, it's just so flipped. It's just so counter-cultural. And then my heart many times can just be counter-God in my own humanity. God highly values and esteems humility. Verse 12, God is faithful and provides testing opportunities to produce faith and endurance. I'm going I'm to do a few of these verses together, and then we're going to come back and we're going to look at testing and temptation. Um, but God is faithful and provides testing opportunities to produce faith and endurance. God does not tempt anyone for evil. And then, um, I think this was Eric. Oh, this sounded like an Eric comment. He says, we are sinners and we're good at it. This week when we were talking about it, I'm like, yeah. In our humanity, that's, that's true. We're really good at it. Or at least we almost kind of take pride in that. Isn't it interesting how that works? That even in our own pride in the middle of sin, we would take pride in that? But God does not tempt anyone for evil. Our own desires tempt us and lead us to sin. Our own desires. If you don't believe me, let's read it again. Verse 13, let no one say he is tempted. I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each one is tempted when he is lured and enticed by what? His own desires. Hmm. What? You mean we're doing this to ourselves? You mean the devil didn't make me do this? Well, well, if it just if that hadn't happened, if 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 they wouldn't have done that, if they wouldn't have said that, if I wouldn't have heard that, if I wouldn't have seen that, no, it says by our own desires. See, because in and of ourselves, in humanity, there's nothing good. The best thing we bring to the equation in a relationship with Christ is our own evil desires, and he redeems those. That's, that doesn't feel very good, does it? Well, there's a lot more there, but verse 17 couple more things about God is the giver of what kind of gifts? Perfect. What is your perfect gift? What is the most perfect gift you've ever been given? Before you give me the Jesus Sunday school answer, um, uh, okay, so what's the tangible gift? Very quickly, what's the, what's the most perfect gift you've ever received? Family, good. Anything else? Anything tangible? I mean, family's tangible, but I mean, any kind of a life? Man, that's pretty good. It's kind of, okay, we're done. Nobody can top that one. That's good. Anybody wanted a boat or a car or anything? You're like, oh man, if I get this, it's perfect. I mean, house, okay. Grandkids, yeah, pretty sweet. That's a sweet deal.
God is the giver of perfect gifts. We're going to look at what that gift is here in a minute. He is generous. And look at verse 17. He never changes. How was humanity described up above? What did we say about ourselves? We're tossed about, unstable, wishy-washy, change with the wind. Sonner would tell you that I'm probably, especially when it comes to things, uh, like tangible things, that I can hold on to a lot of stuff. I'm not, not, not in a hoarding kind of way, but, but in a... Um, I just draw uh, attachment to certain things. Like when we, uh, when we were first married, we inherited... How many of you inherited furniture from your parents when you were first married? Anybody inherit? We, we, had this, we had this huge um, sofa. I mean, it was the ugliest thing. I mean, it was great in the 70s. But um, by the time we married in the mid-80s and kept it into the 90s, I mean, that, that joke was, it was rough. Actually, we may have gotten that in the late 60s. I mean, it was... Uh, my, my parents. And so, um, but man, it was, what I liked about it, uh, I'm, I'm fairly tall. I'm not like super tall, but what I really liked about it was I, I could lay out completely on that thing. Like if I'm watching TV and I, I mean, it was, it, it, it actually looked like a coffin with the front edge cut off. Um, and I loved that thing. And so uh, before we moved from Texas to Nashville, which was a long time ago now, um, about a, it was about a year before we moved. It had been, well, not quite a year. Um, Sandra's like, hey, listen. You know, she didn't have near the attachment to it because she hadn't grown up with it. You know, I mean, she had married into it. And she's like, this thing is ugly. And I'm like, yeah, but, I mean, it's just so nice. You know? And so uh, we bought a sofa and a love seat from um, someplace in Dallas. And... and uh, they, they, uh, they delivered it, put it in the house, and, or in the apartment that we were in, and um, <laughs> I tell on myself, I just don't, I give up, I give up hard on th- some things, but um, she came in from work, I had come in a little bit earlier, I'm sure I was fixing dinner, had already done that, I mean, cleaned the house, done the laundry, all those kinds of things, so when she came home, she was ready, um, <laughs> But which is really not too far off. I actually do some of those things. Um, but but uh, she comes in, and uh, I I am laid out on this old couch. That's still in our apartment. I am I am laid out on this old couch, and the nice new furniture is sitting over there, you know. And I'm laid out, and I'm just like, I know I only have like one or two more days with this furniture. I mean, <laughs> she's like, you're way way too attached to this thing. So I, what? I don't even remember, I don't think I was there when we got rid of it because I couldn't be there when it left. Uh, can't, I'm trying to remember. I've been a little facetious. I don't even remember what we ended up doing with that. You remember what we did with that? You probably burned it, yeah. Yeah, probably so. Probably so. Well, and I'm not even going to mention the two end tables that we, uh, we inherited as well. So, um, But uh, all that to say, God is the giver of perfect gifts. That was not the perfect gift. Uh, from my family to Sondra, although it was wonderful to me because I had all these emotional attachments to it. Um, but God, God uh, never changes. And in our instability, in our unstable, we're tossed about, 
Um, it is important that we look towards the one who never changes. So let's examine a few things um, out of this, uh, examine our hearts and lives. So what, what are some takeaways from this? I think the easiest one to see from the very beginning is, number one, what choose to serve him, right? I mean, that seems so, that seems so easy. I mean, unless, I mean we, could, we could do a little exercise and everybody could say that at the same time. Yeah, choose to serve him, choose to serve him. It's easy, easy to say. It's incredibly easy to say. The challenge comes in what? You and I going, oh. So if I'm going to choose to serve him, that's more than just me saying that. That is also aligning my life. Everything that I am, this, this bondservant, this slave, willingly gives up their own agenda to follow the one. So choosing to serve him, and it's, and it's interesting, right? Because I, I, I do think there are times that, that it's a, a, um, a very, and I want to, got to be careful how I say this because I think every time it's intentional, um, but I think there are times that we, draw, we drive some stakes in the ground, you know, like, all right, from this day forward, I am, I am doing this. And then there, there are times that we have to come back and remember that we drove that stake in the ground. And there is a, almost a re-choosing to go, oh, you know what? I've chased after some things on my own. I'm, I'm going to go back and remember this time that God is who he says he is choose to serve him. I, I think the second thing is, is probably what most of us would be quick not to, um, not to jump on uh, in some ways, but it says, uh, the second one is there is to happily welcome his testing. Can I just, can I just like, okay. I know we're going to be tested. I mean, this is, cool. this, is the, this is the humanity way, right? I know I'm going to go through this test. I'm going to do it. I don't want to do it. I think it's stupid. I mean, I think that's a lot of times the way that we, we look at things, circumstances that come our way. How many of you like pop quizzes? Anybody ever take a pop quiz? Yeah, so, so when you think pop quiz, do you get all excited in your heart about those? And you're like, oh, yeah, pop quiz. Or do you kind of go like, you know what, pop quiz. This teacher hates me. This teacher's just always trying to trick me into things. Actually, um, I, I, I teach an online class uh, for a seminary, and uh, I don't do a whole lot of pop quizzes, but there are times that I'll do a pop quiz, and it's really... My, my heart and my motivation is to never trick someone into that. And I think the importance of pop quizzes is to prepare people for what? If there's a pop quiz, what does that tell you is coming down the line? A test! I mean, the, if, if I'm learning things in these increments, it's a whole lot easier when the big test comes for me to go. I, I mean, how many of you are like, you're the, if you have a test at nine o'clock in the morning, you're up till five o'clock that morning studying from the night before and you're trying to cram it all in your head and, you know, I, and it lasts how long? When you cram junk in your head like that, how long does it last? Hopefully until you get through the actually taking the test, right? I mean, that's the prayer. 
That's the prayer, all right? But when we look at this testing that takes place, the testing and the circumstances that come in our lives are designed to be, I think, these pop quizzes that are not designed to to trick us, to cause us to fall, to cause us to to be like, oh, no, but to prepare us knowing that, man, there might be something bigger coming down the line. That, that, but, but the quiz in itself is not to learn as much information as I can. The quiz here is, God, you can be trusted. So when I learn to trust you in these things, when the bigger thing comes, I've, I've already built in that you can be trusted. So pop quizzes are are to prepare you, not to trick you. The testing that comes our way is designed to help us to become more like Him and to trust Him. Now, here's why I think that's true. Because we looked at that passage of Scripture and it says, remember that God does what? He only gives good, perfect gifts. He doesn't trick you. I want to give you this, and he snatches it back. That would would be me. That would be so outside the character and nature of God because God, God can't do evil. He can't do it. It is no part of who he is. So then what are we what is this deal with testing and temptation? Because temptation obviously is within us, right? Because it's from our own desires. Isn't that what the passage said? So how does testing and temptation work together? I think testing can be thought of, and te- testing and temptation can be thought of in this way. Testing is designed to help you to become, it's a circumstances that comes along to help you to lean into trusting Christ. Temptation comes in when I look at that same situation and I go, hmm, hmm, how can I, how can I circumvent who God is. And how can I, if you were here in the nine o'clock hour, you would have heard Andy talk a little bit about this, but how can I, how can I become, how can I, I become God? My idea of who God needs to be, and I can, I can, I can shortcut this road to endurance. See, temptation comes from within. It comes out of my own heart that desires for something other than God to be the God of my life. I mean, we have all kinds, all kinds of um, experience in this. For many of us, it's been things that we've chased. It's been relationships that we've chased. It's, 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 it's anything that becomes an idol that says, I, I, I know God says that this is the way to do it. I know that he says that he is unchanging, but, but I, 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 think, I, think I, can, I think I can do it a different way. And so the motivation for that testing becomes, what can I get out of this? 
How can I get ahead? How can I somehow grab some of the glory that's designed for God? How can I grab some of that glory for myself? I mean, it's a, it's a vicious cycle, isn't it? And I, and I say it that way because I, I think all of us can relate to that. I think we can all relate to, man, I want to I wanna chase after things. I want to I somehow circumvent. You know, God, God surely is getting enough. And we, we would never be bold enough to say it out loud like this. But in our heart, it's like, God, I don't think you're enough. I, just, I, don't, I don't think you're enough. And so I'm... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go about it this way. But the beauty is, as a Christ follower, as a believer, I mean, that's, that's who James is writing to, right? But he says, oh, yeah, but that same Christ now is within you as well. So that motivation to circumvent him, it, it doesn't. It doesn't have to be the one who wins because now Christ is alive in you. In fact, he has made you fully alive. See, when we chase after sin out of our own desires, what did this say we, as we read that passage? What, what does it lead to? It gives birth to death. God, this just sounds so weird to even say, right? Our own desires. God, you know my heart. You, you know, you know that if you leave me to myself, I'm going to chase after everything because I am unstable in all my ways. Man, I blow around like the wind. But God, your word, your word promises that you never change. So God, I'm a knucklehead. I'm a sinner. I chase after it. God, would you help me to chase after you? The never changing, always solid, always stable, regardless of the circumstance that it comes to. You are the provider. Even though, even though I don't know how you're going to provide, I trust that you are who you say you are. And God, I'm not going to try to manipulate a lot of things. I'm not going to try to make things work in such a way. God, I'm, 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 I'm not going to be lazy in my, in my service to you, but I am sure not going to be the one who runs ahead of you and tries to steal the glory, your glory. I think the last thing, I'm going to point out, there's, there's tons. As you, as you work through this passage this week, you're going to find, and you, you may even come back and go, I don't know what they were thinking when they found that one. That's okay. But hopefully as you study, the Lord will reveal more to you about himself through his word. Here, here's the last thing I think I would mention. Listen to the Spirit and find your identity in Christ alone. Allow Allow him to be enough. (laughs) 
you know, um, you might be able to relate to this. Whatever, whatever sin it is that uh, you find yourself saying no to over and over and over and over and over again, only to find yourself going, I mean, I think we've I think we've learned that just saying no to sin is not enough, right? I mean, um, the whole "just say no" campaign a number of years ago, when when uh, I think it was Nancy Reagan, maybe can't remember, but "just say no." It it sounds great, but just saying no is not enough, is it? If it were, you and I wouldn't, wouldn't struggle with sin. When you say no to one thing, the way to overcome that sin is to say yes to the one who has already defeated that sin, who now lives inside of us as Christ followers. So listening to the Spirit and then remembering that our identity is the one, Christ Jesus, who has overcome all. He overcame sin. He defeated sin without being sinful himself. But he took on your sin and my sin upon himself so that you and I now trust in the one who never changes. Well, we've done the T, the E, the X, small E, big X. Now let's talk to God and ask him what he would have us to do in light of his word. And then let's not forget the importance of talking with others and sharing what God is teaching us in our own lives. God, we confess to you that, man, our desire really is to bring you glory, um, but we also confess that um, we are quick outside of you to try to snatch that back. So God, our prayer today is that you would, you would find us faithful and that you would find us in such a way, trusting you, the faithful one, the unchanging one. And, and not only the, the waiting for the big tests that come our way, but God, in those pop quizzes that you give us, designed not to trick us, 
but to prepare us to be faithful and to trust you. Because God, you are trustworthy. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.